0: Thank you, choir. Take your Bibles, please, and uh, turn with me to um, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. If you have a pen or pencil, let me encourage you to take it out. I want you to write something down here in a little bit. Um, We're going to read this passage in just a minute. Uh, Let me kind of take a minute to get there. When I was in seminary and I had preaching class, uh, we had an interesting preaching professor, but one of his things was... You always need to give your sermon a good title. And, uh, you know, I struggled to get the sermon. I, I never have been able to get a title. And, but he was, his thing was you got to be able to put something on the marquee and I can't title them. If you, I don't know if any of you do iTunes, but if you go look at our sermons, like we, in January I had like loving God and then loving God two, loving God three. I mean, that's my, you know, so the Aggie coming out in me, I think, but so, this week Dan gets back and, and says, you know, we're talking, I said, well, I, I want you to put the message from the first service. And he said, well, what's the title going to be? And I thought, oh, me, you know, and, and so I got to thinking, well, it was Super Bowl and it was Super Sunday. So why don't we just call it Super Savior? Cause if you're here last week, we talked about Jesus in the context of who he was before he humbled himself and set aside the glory and came. And then we, you know, we spent some, a good bit of time, we talked about his his creative power and how he spoke the universe into existence. We talked about his consisting power, how he upholds the universe simply by the word, I mean, by the word of his power. I mean, he doesn't even hold the universe in his hand, he just, by his, his voice, the universe, stays into existence. So we talked about his consisting power. And then we talked about how he—he's he, his power is commanding and that, that he is to have supremacy and preeminence in first place in everything. And so, and then we kind of talked about, well, you know, then he set all that aside and he came and he took on the nature of man. And, and then we kind of skipped over that part a little bit. And, and then we talked about how one day, uh, because of who he is, one day the Lord Jesus, uh, all of us are going to um, be in his presence. And the Bible says because he was obedient that God exalted him to the highest place. And that one day at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Everyone. In, in heaven, on earth, under the earth. That, that's the whole deal. And so we we talked about this super savior that we have, but we did kind of skip on through that part about how he considered it not robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation. He took on uh, the nature of man. In other words, he took on physical body, flesh and blood like you and me, and became obedient and obedient even to the point of death uh, on a cross. And so this morning, we're going to celebrate that very fact. We're going to celebrate, as you can tell, uh, the death of Jesus Christ. Now, it's not often. It's not often that we celebrate a death. Um, Now, maybe a few. uh, Osama bin Laden, probably so. Um, But I don't know that you ever celebrate a death of someone that you love and that loves you unconditionally. and And yet this morning... That's what we're going to do. We're going to celebrate the death of Christ because that's what has made all the difference. Now, uh, bef- you may remember this story, but I want to kind of use it to set up what we're going to talk about this morning. Uh, and again, you may remember it, but it was about a little girl and, and she asked her mother one day, she said, she said, mama, why do you cut the ends of the roast off before you put it in the pan? And the mama thought a minute, and she says, uh, Well, I think it adds flavor because it allows the meat to absorb the spices, but I'm not real sure. Why don't you go ask your grandma? So the little girl went to the other room and says, Grandma, why do you and mommy cut the ends of the meat off before you cook it? And her grandmother, she thought a moment, and she says, well, I think it allows the meat to stay tender because all the juices can get sucked back up in the meat. But I'm not real sure. Maybe you ought to go ask Nana. And so the little girl, she's kind of frustrated. So she goes and she, finds, she climbs up in the lap of her great-grandma and she says, Nana, wh- why do you and, and grandma and mommy cut the ends of the meat off before you put it in the pan? She said, honey, I don't know why your mom and grandma does it. For me, it wouldn't fit in the pan. So I cut the ends off. Now, I say that to say this. People don't always know why they do what they do. And we don't always know why other people do what they do. This morning, we're in, in just a few minutes, we're going to celebrate the Lord's table. And I think it's absolutely important that we know why we do what we do. And so we're going to reflect back. And we're going to look at what the Lord said to do. Now, before we read our text, uh, it's kind of interesting because Paul gives this description of the Lord's Supper. Now, you may call it the Lord's Supper. You may call it communion. You may call it the Lord's table, however you choose to re- refer to it. Um, but, but the context, if you know anything about first Corinthians, this is a pretty, I don't know if, if if sorry is the right word, but I mean this. I mean, Paul's writing to the church. Man, they got issues. I mean, they got all kind of stuff. You know, they're suing one another. You know, they 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 can't stay married. They can't be faithful. They can't get along. I mean, it's a lot of stuff going on. And so, then they come to communion, and they're not doing it well either. And so, which we'll look at in a minute. So Paul writes and he gives some instructions about how and why they need to celebrate uh, the Lord's Supper. And so let's read with, uh, with Paul there that passage. Why don't you stand with me? We're going to read in 1 Corinthians 11. And we're going to pick up in the middle of the description, verse 23 and following. Here's what the Apostle Paul writes. By the way, we believe that most scholars would believe that 1 Corinthians was written before any of the Gospels were written down. And so, uh, interestingly enough, even though Paul was not with Jesus, Paul got a revelation from Jesus about about Lord's Supper, about communion. And if you study it and compare it to the Gospels, it matches up. But it's interesting that he's the first one to write about it, we believe. But listen to what he says, verse 23. It says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it. And remember to me, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, now he's addressing an issue in that church. And this is what he says. He says, therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats ...of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why so many of you are weak and sick. And a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned... With the world. Shall we pray together? Father, as we celebrate the Lord's table, Father, as we take into account uh, the death, the sacrificial death of our precious Lord, I would ask you, Father, to open the eyes of our heart and open up your word that we might know and be reminded of why we do what we do when we celebrate this ordinance, as we might call it. And so, Father, I would just invite you to speak clearly and boldly into our hearts this morning. Father, I know in the auditorium, uh, there not everyone has crossed over the line from unbelief to belief. Not everyone here is a follower of Jesus. And I pray this morning, I'm so glad they're here if they're not, And I pray this morning, Father, they would see the benefits of knowing Jesus as their Lord. They would understand the benefits of his death on the cross for their sins, for our sins, for the sins of the whole world. So, Father, I would ask, I would invite your Holy Spirit to come and search our hearts this morning. And, Father, when it's all done, we'll give the glory and the honor to Jesus, who alone is worthy of our praise. And we ask it in His awesome name. Amen. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. Thank you for honoring the Lord's Word. Why do we celebrate communion? Well, uh, obviously, as as Baptists, it's one of the two ordinances. We have the Ordinance of Baptism, the Ordinance of Lord's Supper. But what I want to deal with is how do we approach it biblically and maybe even, maybe even not to go past that to say how, from a practical standpoint... Why do we do what we do? And so that's what I want to talk about with us this morning, uh, for the next few minutes. Now, obviously, communion is a, is a special time in the life of any church, especially and including ours. And, and so when we look at the text, there's a couple of things that stand out to say, you know, here's why we do what we do. And so let me just share those with you. First of all, uh, communion or the Lord's table is a time of remembrance. The Lord Jesus said, you know, that he, he, he took the bread and he broke it, and he said, "This is my body, which is for you. Um, do this in remembrance of me." And so it is a it is a time of remembrance, and obviously it's a t- it's a time to remember His body, the body of Christ, which was given for you and me. Uh, you know, the Bible says that He was wounded for our transgressions, and by His stripes. We are healed, and so Jesus' body was sacrificed for us. Now, um, one of the things that I've always—it is interesting because I I figured this out in my study. One of the things that I've always prayed and said, you know, this is this bread represents the Lord Jesus' body, which was um, which was broken for us. Because uh, that's the way it reads in the King James Version. But if you look at most of the other texts, it doesn't use the word broken. In fact, the best manuscripts in the original Greek do not use the word broken. And so I was reading about that. And, you know, interestingly enough, when criminals were crucified, uh, what they would do to expedite the death is they would break their legs so they couldn't push themselves up and continue to breathe. And if you remember that, if you remember reading the story of the crucifixion when the soldiers came to break their legs, they noticed that Jesus had already stopped breathing. And that fulfills a scripture which said that his bones would not be broken. Now, he was bruised and he was beaten and he was battered literally almost beyond human recognition. You can read about, you can read such a great description of it in Isaiah who wrote his description 750 years before it ever happened or probably 780 years before it happened. But Jesus, not a bone was broken in fulfillment of Scripture. And so that would say to us that, that his the entirety of his being, his body was given for you. And for me, As a matter of fact, in Hebrews it says this. Listen to Hebrews ten nineteen and twenty, and this includes both. But he says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain. Now, look at this. That is His body, and so His body is is the opening that allows us into the most holy place and time won't allow us to get into detail there but if you read the accounts of the crucifix and you know and it may have been in Matthew but in one of the gospels it says whenever he bowed his head or whenever he said to the father father it is finished when he bowed his head and gave up the ghost there was a great earthquake and the veil in the temple was torn that that kept the high priest and everyone else out of the holy of holies it was torn in two from the top to the bottom and the scripture says that Jesus' body was given for us. And so that body is, is the, you know really was rent so that the veil, the entrance to the very presence of God could be open for us. And so in a few minutes as we celebrate the Lord's table and as you take that, that symbolical piece of bread, I want, you to, I want you to remember, God wants you to remember that the Lord Jesus' body was given for you and for me so we could enter into the presence of the Father. But not only is it a time to remember the body, but the scripture says it's a time to remember uh, the blood of Jesus. And uh, you, a few minutes ago, I invited you to take out a, um, a pen or pencil because I want you to think about with me uh, what happens with the blood of Jesus. We're going to do a we're going to march through the scriptures. And I'm going to give you six or eight verses to, that I want you to just mark. But, but the thing about the blood is the blood of Jesus, only the blood of Jesus was able to do for you and me what the law could never do. I mean, year after year for over a, you know, for like 1400 years from the time the Old Testament sacrificial system was instituted and in the law that was given unto Moses in the first five books of the Bible. Men, the Old Testament couldn't get it done. In fact, Romans 8, 3 says, For what the law was powerless to do, and that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so God condemned sin in sinful man. And so in other words, what Jesus did with His blood is He fulfilled the whole law that mankind could never fulfill and all the commandments that we could never keep Jesus kept and God imputes that righteousness that comes from that to me and you and so what I want us to do this morning I want us to remember uh to call to remembrance uh what the blood of Jesus has done for us and so I want you to just kind of think with me uh, like I say we're going to work our way through the scriptures we're going to start in the book of Romans and I think it's in Romans 5, 9. But I want you to remember back. And I don't know when you came to know Christ, if indeed you've come to know Christ. But but whenever it was, I want you to think about before you gave your life to Jesus, you and I, we were unrighteous. We were unrighteous. Now, maybe we tried to be good. Maybe we looked like we were good. But the Bible says that we were unrighteous. But Romans 5 and verse 9 says, Since we have now been justified by His blood how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Him? And so what you need to understand is that when you gave your life to Jesus, His blood justified you. In other words, His blood declared you to be righteous in God's eyes. And so in other words, His blood applied to you and me when we put our faith in Him, turned aside God's wrath. And so no longer do we have to Fear the wrath of a holy God because God poured out that wrath on Jesus. And so I'd, I'd mark in your Bible uh, Romans um, 5 and verse 9. Just put a little asterisk, something out there so when you read through it, I'll just remind you. Man, I was unrighteous and facing the wrath of God, but Jesus shed his blood. And his blood declared me to be righteous. But not only is that true, we were sinful, and we were unforgiven. I know that's the name of a movie. I ain't talking about Clint Eastwood. But we were unforgiven. We were we you know we were in bondage, if you will, which we'll see in a minute to our sin. But listen to what happened by the blood of Jesus. In in Ephesians 5 or 1 and verse 7, it says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness. Of sins, in, in other words, forgiveness for everything we've ever done comes through the blood of jesus and, and and I don't want to get into a discussion about this, but I've done some stuff, and you've done some stuff, but when it's under the blood, we're forgiven. And so we need to remember we were unforgiven, sinful. But we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. And if you're in Ephesians, if you'll just turn over to chapter 2, listen to verse uh, 12. See, a lot of folks think they're close to God. A lot of folks, uh, they, just, they just think that. But listen to what the Word says, Ephesians 2 and verse 12. It says, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. I mean, you didn't have any hope. You didn't have a God. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. See, what that means is that before Christ, we were hopeless. And helpless and godless. But when He poured out His blood on the cross for you and me, we can now be brought near. If you remember back that verse we read in Hebrews, we have confidence to enter the most holy place through the blood of Jesus. We've been brought near by the blood, not because we're good. See, we're separated from God. And people don't understand that. A lot of folks don't believe that. We were out for dinner uh, Friday night. We're over in South Austin. And and um, I don't always do this, but just felt compelled to uh, say to our server, you know, we're about to pray for our meal. We'd love to pray for you. Is there anything we could pray for in your life? And um, she very nicely responded, you know, I, I try to be a good person and and I and I really think that's enough. And and so, you know, we we prayed for her and and she treated us very well and very respectful of us and, and, and our prayer. Um, but she thinks that she's okay because she's good. And maybe even some of you think, well, you're okay because you try to be good and, and you do the best you can. And we ought to be good, and we ought to do the best we can. But the Bible says that if righteousness could come through the law, through being good, Jesus died in vain. But what the law couldn't do, in other words, what being good couldn't do, Jesus did. And so if you buy into the idea that if you're just good enough, You'll get there. Friend, I, I I say this with all the love I can. You ain't good enough. You won't ever be good enough. But Jesus was good enough. And so he took your place on the cross, took my place on the cross. And if you put your faith in him, then you're cleansed by the blood. And you have a God and you have hope in the world. But not only... Not only were we far away, we were at, at enmity with God, at enmity with God, in other words, uh, there was no peace with God, and yet Colossians one twenty tells us uh, that we can have peace through his blood and then if you 're going over to Hebrews, I, I really love the book of Hebrews uh, one day i 'm going to preach to the book of Hebrews uh, because there's so much in there, uh, but listen to hebrews nine and in uh, verse twelve because 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 of our sins, before Christ, we were condemned. In, other, in, other, in fact, and we won't go there, but in John 3, uh, the Scripture says that if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, you're condemned already because you haven't believed in the name of the Son of God. That's not my words, it's His. You can look it up, John three seventeen eighteen, 17, uh, 18 and following. But, but listen to Hebrews 9, verse 12. It says this. It says, He did not enter... Uh, by means of the blood of goats and calves. But he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood. Now listen to this. Having obtained eternal redemption. And so what it boils down to. We were under eternal condemnation. But the blood of Jesus has given us eternal redemption. In other words he has bought us up. Bought us back. And the key word there I think. Is the word eternal because that's forever. And the blood of Jesus gives us forever redemption. But look down to verse 14, saying chapter 9, uh, where the scripture goes on to say, How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? Listen, friend, I'll tell you before you and I came to Christ, we were guilty. And many of us were ashamed because of our past. But the blood of Jesus cleanses even our conscience from acts that lead to death. Now, it could be that you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior. And that means you're guilty before God. But if you give your life to Christ, he'll cleanse that. And he'll take away your your legal guilt. But he can also take away the guilt we have for the things that we've done. He'll take them away. The the blood of Christ cleanses even the conscience of the worshiper. And that's what the blood can do for you and me. But as we remember the blood, turn on over to Hebrews 13. Uh 13 and verse 12. It says, And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Now, it doesn't say he makes us holier than now, but it says we're made holy. In other words, when God looks at you as a follower and a believer in Jesus Christ, God doesn't see you and me. He sees the holiness of Jesus. Made holy by the blood and of course we were not pure and yet first john 1 7 uh, says that we're uh, purified by the blood and uh, we were in bondage to our sin and hebrews or excuse me revelation 1 and verse 5 says that jesus christ has freed us from our sins by his blood now you may wonder why we would say, Well, he frees us. Well, in Romans seven fourteen, and by the way, this verse isn't coming up on the screen, but what it says there uh in Romans seven fourteen is that we've been sold as a slave before Christ. We were sold as a slave to sin. In other words, we were in bondage to sin. And when you're in bondage, you really don't have any You're in bondage. You're you know, literally when someone's in bondage, their hands are tied, their feet are tied, or they're locked up. They can't free themselves. And it says Jesus freed us from our sin. And then, uh, Revelation 5 and verse 9 tells us how he did that. Notice in this song that they're singing uh, to the Lord Jesus in heaven, it says, and they sang a new song, verse 9, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. Now look at this. And with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation in other words here the blood of Jesus what it did is he he purchased our pardon we were bought out of bondage and set free you could never do that i could never do that and yet Jesus did it at the cross he purchased our pardon And set us free. And then finally, uh, Revelation 12 and verse 11 says this. Uh, Let me pick up in verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now have come the salvation, the power of the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ. For the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down and they overcame Him by the blood of the Lamb. Listen, before Jesus Christ, we... We often lived in defeat. We often lived in discouragement and in difficulty. And the Bible says by the blood of the Lamb, we can overcome. And I would say to you this morning, that when we come to the Lord's table, it's a time to remember what He's done for us. Man, I mean, think about this. We, we we were unrighteous, and we've been declared righteous. We were in bondage. We've been set free. We had no peace, and we had no God. We were, had no hope, and He's changed all of that. And he, He's freed us up by His blood, and he, He's given us eternal redemption, and He's cleansed our consciences, and He's forgiven our sins forever and forever. And forever. And so when we come to the Lord's table. We need to remember. Li- listen. We need to remember what he's done for us. And I would say to you. That have not yet crossed over the line of faith. If you want to be forgiven. If you want to be free. And if you want to live for eternity. Really live. And if you want peace with God and hope. It's at the cross of Jesus Christ. That's why he died. He died to set you free. He 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 died to change your world. It's a time to remember. But I would also say if we go back to our text in First in Corinthians, not only is it a time to remember, but it's also a time for reverence. If, you, if you're if you back there, I want you to look at verse 27, because what happened in the church in Corinth, uh, they came and uh, it says that whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. What was happening in the church, man, uh, folk would show up for the Lord's Supper and they actually practiced it more often than not at night, thus we get the Lord's Supper. But they would show up to celebrate. Uh, some of them would show up and they'd just devour everything. Others would show up and they'd be drunk. And they, they partook of the Lord's table in an unworthy manner. There was an absence of worthiness. And so there was an absence of reverence. They literally just took for granted and treated as common and even cheapened the sacrifice that Jesus made. And so I would say that when we come to the table to celebrate the Lord, It should be a time of reverence. We should come worthily into His presence. Worthily, worthily into His presence. John MacArthur has said that many come with a spirit of bitterness or hatred, anger toward another believer. They come with sin of which they will not repent. And he goes on to say, If a believer comes with anything less than the loftiest thoughts of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit... And anything less than total love for his brother and sisters, he comes unworthily. And the scripture says when we come unworthily to the Lord's table, it's to become guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. And so I would caution us this morning that the Lord's table is a time of great reverence. We're to come worthily. Listen to what the author of Hebrews says Hebrews 10 and verse 29 says it this way. Um, Let me pick up in verse 28. He says, Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot and who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? Man, this is this is serious stuff, the Lord's table, because it's about the Lord's body. So it's a time of reverence, but I would also say that it, it's also a, a, um, a time of reflection. If you look back in Corinthians there at uh, verse 28, you'll notice... This is a man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner, eats and drinks judgment unto himself. And so we ought to reflect. You know, before we take the elements in just a few minutes, we'll have a time of reflection, of inner searching. And each of us ought to bow our heart before God. And say, God, is there anything in my heart that makes me unworthy? Is there a sin of which I need to repent? Is there an attitude of which I need to change? See, we we should reflect before the Lord. Because to come to the table in an unworthy manner isn't simply to disrespect the ceremony but it's to disrespect the one who the ceremony is about. I mean, imagine if, if if I went over and, heaven forbid, but if I went over and took the flag and, and laid it on the ground and trampled upon it, it wouldn't simply be that I, I've dishonored the the cloth. But it would be a dishonor to our nation and to everyone who died to represent it. And in the same way, if we're to come to the Lord's table and and trample underfoot the Son of God in an unworthy manner, it's not simply to disregard the ceremony, but it's to disregard the Savior. And so I would encourage you that it's a time of reflection. And then just quickly I would say that it, it should be a time of repentance. As we reflect on our heart and as God may point to this or that in your life or in my life, and God says, what about this? It's a time for us to repent. And time won't allow me to go into great detail, but I would ask you to look with me. I think it's at verse 31. Uh, well, I'll pick up in verse 30. It says, many of you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. In other words, listen, what God was so serious about the Lord's table. If they, if they disregarded the Lord's table, some of them got sick. God killed some of them and disciplined them with death because they dishonored the Lord's table. Now, they didn't lose their salvation, but they lost their life because they were so irreverent to the things of God. And so I would say to you and me, it should be a time of repentance. Notice verse 31. He says, but if we judged ourselves... We would not come under judgment. And so, what Paul was saying is that we should reflect in our own heart. And if there's something there, we should repent. We should judge ourselves and say, God, you're right. You're right. You know, the joy of following Jesus is the scripture says in 1 John 1 9 if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just. And will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so when you come to the table in just a moment. When we celebrate the body and the blood. Remember what it's done for us. Reflect on your own heart. Revere the one who it's about. And as you reflect. If there's something in your life that's not right. Repent. Repent, because there's forgiveness through the blood of Christ. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, this morning as we, as we celebrate the life of Christ and the death of Christ, Father, I would ask you to, uh, to just stir our hearts, draw us unto yourself, God, I know in the auditorium it could be that there's, there's some here who have never given their life to Christ. And God, my prayer and hope is that they would choose today to experience the hope, the forgiveness, the peace, the love, the eternal life that can come through knowing Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And so, God, we're going to have just a moment to give people an opportunity to to respond publicly if they would like to give their life to Christ. And so, Father, I pray that you'd have your will in your way in every person's heart, in every person's life, and we'll give you the honor and the glory for it all. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to invite you to stand with me. We're going to, choir's going to sing Jesus Paid It All. If you've never given your life to Christ, I'd love to take the Word and show you how you can be saved. And if you'll be saved today, you can celebrate the Lord's table, and it'll mean everything to you. If you're already a believer, uh, maybe there's something in your life you need to use this as a time to reflect and ask God to cleanse your heart. So as the choir sings, if you need to make a public decision, I invite you to come.